Lord, I wish there was a deeper word than thank you. I mean that, first of all, you'd create us. Then you'd choose us, draw us to you, fill us with all manner of rich life, place us on the richest nation the world's ever seen, one of the greatest times the world's ever seen, and promise its eternity to, to boot. Just a great Lord, amazing Savior. We want to follow you with all that we have. We give you the praise. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks. You can be seated. Let me give you a couple quick disclaimers before I preach this morning. Normally, when I preach, we take a, a passage of Scripture and we exegete the thing, and then we draw all manner of Scripture around it to support it. We're not going to do that today. We're going to look at one passage, two verses, and spend the whole time unpacking the thing. Secondly, uh, I try to always be done in 22 minutes. I might go a little over today. That's the price you pay for giving me two weeks off, but I'll try to see what I can do. Last week, uh, Angie and I had a wedding out of town, and so we went to a Chinese restaurant, and you guys know how picky I am, and we thought, well, if we got the chicken surprise, maybe I could eat that. So we got it, and they brought it to the table in one of those lidded cast iron pots, and Angie went to get some out of the pot, and she said that the lid on the pot came up about this much, and she saw these two little beady eyes peeking at her, and then the lid went down. And she said, oh my goodness, Jimmy, did you see that? And I said, see what? She said, open up that pot and you'll see. So I reached over to get something out of the pot, and the same thing, the lid came up about this far, and these two little beady eyes are looking at me and it slammed shut again. So I called the waiter over, and I said, man, what's the deal? And I explained the thing to him. And he said, well, what did you order? And I said, we ordered the chicken surprise. He said, sorry, man, that's my fault. I thought you ordered the Peking duck. <laughs> did you miss me? Come on, man, Mark and Jake don't tell jokes like that, all right? You know what I mean? All right, so that really didn't happen to us, but we, I did get a surprise last week. And some, some of you, uh, one of you came up to me last week and said, hey, man, you mentioned in your sermon a couple weeks ago that you had done a sermon series on the difference between being a fan and a follower. I don't remember that. Well, that surprised me. It kind of hurt my feelings. Because when I go to the effort to steal a sermon series from somebody and bring it to you, you don't remember it, you know what I mean? Well, here's the thing. I looked it up. It's eight years ago, so that's probably why you forgot it. The sermon series is 10 years old. It's Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church. The kid is a powerhouse in a pulpit. He's not a kid anymore. But he wrote this sermon called uh, Not a Fan, and we did the study. We bought the book. You got to get that thing out because it's amazing. And I remember then I sat on it for a year, and then I read it, and I thought, this is so timely. And it was so timely then, oh my goodness, it's so timely now. Because I don't know if we're in our last days or not, I don't know that at all. I don't know if we're getting ready to lose our culture as we know it because of COVID, I don't know that either, but I do know this, we are in a time of decision right now. I do know this, as Christians, the days of sitting on the fence are over. It's time to decide what you're going to do. With that in mind, I want to read our text. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and this is Jesus. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Now, I know you remember that passage because we just looked at it three weeks ago. Let me ask you if you remember this. You remember what the letters DTR stand for? I'll give you a clue. If you're a guy and you're dating a gal and she brings up the letters DTR, you're going to run for the hills. It's going to strike fear in your heart. You're going to fake sickness. You might even terminate the relationship. Now you remember what DTR stands for? 
It stands for define the relationship. This is the official talk that you have at some point in every relationship where you sit down and you say, hey, where are we at, man? What, what's the level of commitment? Are we just having a good time on the weekends? You know, are we infatuated with each other? Is this a, a hurdle to get us to the next stage in life? Are we fully committed? Now, most sane people uh, put this DTR talk off for a long time. Angie and I had ours about three weeks in. Because here's the other thing. When you're positive and you're in love and you know you're going to spend the rest of your life together, you can't have this talk fast enough. On the other hand, if you're not committed and being with this person is just something to do and you're having a good time, then when this discussion comes up, you're going to be short of breath. You're going to give short answers. You're going to be a little anxious. See where I'm going with this, don't you? See, the challenge for us today is spiritually to define our relationship with Jesus Christ. Where are you at right now? Now, I would imagine the people watching today and the people in this room that the responses are all over the map. Some of you is probably brand new stuff. You're just checking out the waters with this whole Christianity thing anyway. This is like the Sunday after Easter to some of you. And when I start talking to you about defining your relationship with Jesus, you're like, well, I don't want to run. Just take a minute. Draw your breath. No hurry. The time will come. But I also suspect that most of us in the room and most of us watching online today need to do this. You need to find your relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, I think most of you in the room are ready to make the, the next step in your commitment. Especially in these days, you're ready to step things up a little bit with Jesus Christ, most of you. But don't get mad at me that some of you are not. Some of you in here right now are pretty happy with the way you got things with Jesus right now. He's a nice guy. You like his teachings. You're pretty happy with this church, especially right now with the COVID thing because you can get up on Sunday morning in your PJs and drink your coffee and have some Cocoa Puffs and watch me. And if I get too out of line, tell me stupid jokes or step on your toes, you can just turn me off and flip on Parks and Rec or something. You know, you can come on Sundays when you feel like it. You can stay home on Sundays when you don't. You like it that way. And for me to ask you to make a, a determination in your relationship with Jesus and His church, that scares you to death you want to run for the hills. I'm asking you anyway. Are you in or not? Are you a fan or a follower? See, some of us who grew up in the church um, would probably have to admit that we were fans for a long time. I mean, I, I certainly was. I grew up in an unbelievably godly home. You all know that. You know my mom for a long time. Can't wait for you to meet my dad. We were at church almost every time the church doors were open. I, I was a 32-year-old grown man before I saw the end of Wizard of Oz. It was always on Sunday nights. Just about the time the flying monkeys came out, we had to go to church. And so people like that who have been Christians a long time like that, you get to a place where you have to ask the question, Am I a fan based on my heritage of all these years, or am I really a follower of Jesus Christ based on my relationship to Him? I love the way Kyle Eilerman put it. He writes, when I was in junior high, I had a poster of Michael Jordan on my wall. Next to my poster of Michael Jordan was a poster of Jesus, and this sort of captures my relationship with Him. I was a fan of Jesus. I was a fan of Mike. I wanted to be a, like Mike. I wanted to be like Jesus. And if you would have said to me, Kyle, are you really committed in your relationship to Jesus? I would have said yes. And by the way, I would have defined a relationship the way I would have measured a relationship. wouldn't have been a good way at all. 
because I would have talked about the Scripture passages I had memorized instead of knowing Jesus. I would have talked about the fact that people called me out to pray in public instead of talking to you about the private prayers I had with Jesus. I was a whole lot more of a fan than I was a follower. He says it went on this way for quite a while. I went to Bible college, got married, had a few kids. I was even preacher at a church, and I loved Jesus. I really did. But I didn't see the fact that there was a deeper level of commitment that he was calling me to. I had not yet completely surrendered. It just came to a point in my life when I realized in brokenness that this just wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to work for me to be the kind of husband God was calling me to be if I was just a fan. It wasn't going to work for me to be the kind of father that God was calling me to be if I was just a fan. It certainly wasn't going to work for me, he said, to be a pastor in a church that he wanted me to be if I was just a fan. I had to grow up and be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good testimony? That's a good story. But see, he just got to the same place that all of us have got to get till we finally asked the question, where am I at on this thing? Am I truly a follower of Jesus or am I just a fan? Am I all in or not? Now, the word fan simply means it's defined as an enthusiastic admirer. Now, come on, church, we don't want to be a church full of enthusiastic admirers of Jesus, do we? Now, we want to be a church full of committed followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants, and that's why he's asking you all to make the decision. In fact, as you read through the Gospels, he was always drawing that line in the sand. He was always pushing people to make that commitment. Now, he didn't use words like fan and follower. He used words like sheep and goat and that kind of thing. It's the same principle. Or he'd talk about the wide road and the narrow road and which one you want to walk down. It was always moving people to that one. One one of the the most famous uh, stories of that happened in John chapter 6, and we talked about that three weeks ago. His ministry had peaked. I mean, he was drawing large crowds of people. He was working miracles and healing people. And this was the time where he fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. I mean, he was popular and the crowds came, but he knew why they came. They came for the show. They came for the food. And so he asked them plainly, why are you here? What's your because? And I'm just telling you, he's asking you the same thing right now. Why are you here today? What's your because? Are you here because that's what you've always done? Are you here because the seats are comfortable? Are you here because we like the music and the snacks are good? I mean, that'll keep you for a while, okay? But at some point, you've got to answer the question, am I a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ? But here's the danger of pushing people to this. Verse 66 in that same chapter, they, uh, the Bible says that many of them, when they heard that, left and went home. He asked them the question, hey, where are we at, you and I? I mean, as a couple, what level are we at? And when they heard that, they went home. I'm asking you the same question this morning. I kind of ask you to start that way in your prayer this morning. I I don't want you to go home, but I want you to think about the question. Am I a fan or a follower? You say, well, what's a follower? That's, That's a good question. First of all, a follower is somebody who comes to Jesus not to see what they can get from Jesus. That that was the whole drama played out here in in John chapter 6. Those people were coming for the benefits, and a lot of people do that. They come, and they they say they're followers of Jesus Christ, but they're just coming because that's what you do, or they're just coming because they like the way they feel, or they're just coming to get the stuff. Jesus said, "I, I want something deeper than you. That's a fan. I want you to be a follower. Number two, being a follower is deeper than just a lifetime fan club membership. 
In other words, it's, again, it's the next level. And again, a lot of us have been Christians a long time. The truth is, we've just been fans a long time. You know, our mom and dad taught us when we were young to be Indiana Hoosier fans, and now we've grown up, we're Indiana Hoosier fans. Our mom and dad taught us when we were young to be uh, Jesus fans, and now we've grown up, we're Jesus fans. Jesus wants something deeper than that. And, and you know, how, all, you all know how fans react anyway. Fans say, I love Jesus. I love to come to church. I mean, I, I hate it when Cain talks about coming to church every week. I mean, that's nonsense. we got other things to do. But I mean, I like to go to church once in a while. And, and we don't mind a sermon once in a while that challenges us. Everybody needs a challenge and a little behavioral modification doesn't hurt anybody. But Cain, sometimes he gets a little carried away, steps on our toes too much. That's not good. Or, you know what? we uh, we got a Bible in our house. We read it. Most of the time just a church, but we got one. And we do pray. We pray before our meals. And, of course, anytime somebody's sick, we got an emergency. So I'm talking about that's a fan. Jesus wants you to go deeper than that. Number three, being a follower of Jesus is deeper than just doing your own thing while you say I'm a follower of Jesus. Don't we all play that game? You know what I mean? I mean, uh, I love Jesus. I really do. And I'm a follower. But if I want to be sarcastic with my wife, I'm going to be sarcastic with my That's my business. I love Jesus, but if I'm going to disrespect my husband, I'm going to disrespect my husband. That's my business. We love Jesus, but if you're going to get up here and preach sermons about not having sex before marriage, count us out. That's old-fashioned. Are you kidding me? We love Jesus, but don't you talk to us about our money. <laughs> That's our money. We worked hard for that money. We love Jesus, but don't tell me I have to forgive them. Do you have any idea how bad they hurt me? We love Jesus, but. See, the truth is following Jesus and not just being a fan of Jesus is a little deeper than most of us want to go sometimes. And I'm just telling you, let's go deeper. We're in a time, man, well, we need to go deeper. I think if we're honest for a minute, most of us would have to admit that we're just comfortable with this no-strings-attached relationship with Jesus we have right now. We want all the benefits of being a follower of Jesus, but we want to live our lives our way. We want all the benefits of being a follower of Jesus Christ without picking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following Him. And I'm just telling you from this passage of Scripture, that can't be done. We just talked 25 minutes about it three weeks ago. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Somebody says, well, Cain, that's not the presentation I got from the gospel. You guys stood up there on the stage and sang, just as I am. You said, Jesus wants you to come just as you are. Nobody told me I had to deny myself and pick up a cross when I signed on. Can I just tell you, I'm really sorry we let you down there. I know we have a lot of times. But man, that doesn't excuse the fact this is the way it is. You want to follow Jesus. Number four, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and follow him. That's what he said. Now, the word here for deny is not just to say no to ourselves. It's not refusing ourselves. It literally means that we don't even acknowledge ourselves. That's tough business. Jesus said, you want to follow me? You've got to totally deny yourself, surrender to me, and do everything I tell you to do. And that's tough to do. So what we've done instead. And I don't think we did it intentionally. I really don't. We've just kind of morphed in this direction. Instead of preaching this invitation from Jesus to deny ourselves and take up our cross, we've given this invitation instead. Why don't you come to church and be fulfilled and satisfied? See, that's how you fill a church up, especially now that COVID's back. 
Oh, we want to get everybody back in here. So come on in here and feel fulfilled and happy and full of joy and all that kind of business. We forget to tell you that the only way to do that is to die to yourself and give yourself completely over to Jesus Christ because that's the only satisfaction you're ever going to find that's real. Does that make sense? Is that too preachy? Here's what we've done instead. We've taken the message of salvation and removed the message of surrender from it. And you cannot do that. We said, Jesus wants you to come and have a rich, full, happy life. I, I've quoted John 10, 10 from the pulpit for 40 years, and that's exactly what he wants to give us. But we forget to tell everybody, you can't have that kind of life without death first. You've got to die to yourself to get it, and we don't want to do it. Kenny Blanchard says that there's been a collision of capitalism and Christianity. Isn't that interesting? He said Christianity and capitalism have collided. Now, he wrote a book called Raging Fans, and it's a book for corporations and businesses and how you can get fans uh, to come to your business. So the book, of course, is full of ideas on how to make your product more accessible and how to make it more attractive and how to get consumers happy and become fans. And I'm just thinking that's what we've done in the church. You know, it worked in the business world. Certainly to work in church. And so we've tried to combine Christianity and capitalism, and as a result, we've made the church all about you. We want you to be happy. Sarah's going to play music to make you feel good. I'm going to preach to make you feel satisfied and full when you get out of here because we want you to leave and we'll tell your family what a wonderful place South Union is and maybe you'll bring them in and we'll get more people and we'll make Jesus as appealing as we can and the product is as appealing as it can and then how do we measure success by how many people we got in the seats? And that's not how Jesus measures things. And so what's happened and I've heard this for 40 years in the ministry, a lot here more recently and I don't hold this against people because we've kind of indoctrinated them this way. But people will come and, and will say, oh, Christ to have you. We're just visiting. And then this is what they'll say. We're just church shopping. How many times have you heard that? We're just church shopping. So what do we do? We show them the store, man. We take them around, show them everything we got. And the first place we take them is to the women's bathroom and our children's ministry, because experts say if you've got a clean women's bathroom and a wonderful children's ministry, people will come back. My family, I'm not saying that's wrong. We got the greatest children's minister in the county. We got one of the greatest youth ministers to come along to Pike in a long time. I'm just telling you, the danger with this is if we're not careful, listen to me, if we're not careful, what we win people with, we accidentally win them to. And we do not want to win people to the children's ministry at South Union. We don't want to win people to the student-adult ministry at South Union. We don't want to win people to the teaching and preaching of Jimmy Kane at South Union. We want to win people to Jesus Christ at South Union Christian Church and teach them how to be committed followers of Him. And so that's the challenge. Because we help people to come to church. This church has got everything you could ever want when that's just the opposite of what the gospel message is that you're supposed to give up everything you want. And so we've collided the two, and we've made the king of denying yourself and exchanged it for Burger King. Have it your way. And then people come to church, and they like the singing, and they like the preaching, and they love the jokes. And, uh, and the whole time that's going on, we're taking good care of their kids, and they're having fun. Who wouldn't sign up for that? That's not what we want. And that's not what we're going to do. We're going to teach committed followers of Jesus. I've got to hurry. Something else a follower of Jesus means... It means you count the cost. Well, listen, for the early Christian, they knew what this meant. 
the early Christians, the first century Christians, they didn't join programs. They didn't join church, great big churches like this. In fact, when they came upon, when they came on board, it could cost them their career, their family, sometimes their life. To follow Jesus, there was a cost involved. And I'm just reminding you something you already know. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus and not a fan, it's going to cost you something right now. And I don't know what it is, but you do. The Spirit's already moving in your heart. You know exactly what it's going to cost. And I'm telling you, it's worth the cost to be a follower. And then number, three, uh, number six, if you're going to decide to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to make the move. Somebody says, what's the move? Well, the move is baptism. Uh, repent and be baptized, Peter said. How do we be saved? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been around me for a long time, some of you have, you know I do not debate baptism. I won't argue it. There's no sense in it. It's too beautiful a thing. And we've done some crazy things with it in our brotherhood. We've made it a test of fellowship, which is wrong. We've turned it into a ticket to heaven, which is wrong. We've turned it into a bait, a debate that we can have with all our Baptist brothers to see who's more theologically correct. That's wrong. I won't argue this at all. It's too beautiful a thing. But one of the main reasons I don't argue baptism is if you read through the book of Acts, and if you haven't, you should. It's the history of the early church. Without exception, everybody who became a Christian in the early church were immediately baptized into Jesus Christ. That ought to be enough for us. In fact, over the years, I've found the red flag for me, if somebody's ready to be baptized or not, is if they ask me, do I have to be baptized to go to heaven? <laughs> really? You're asking me that? Something as beautiful with identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that Paul talks about in Romans 6? You've got to ask that. See, the early church people, they just did it. They said, I'm going to make this public. I'm going to cross the line right now. I'm going to move on. Speaking of moving on, one more, and then we'll take communion together. Follower of Jesus puts Jesus first. Period. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to put Jesus above my career, above my relationship, above my wife. Ouch. My kids, my grandkids. I choose Jesus above my money. I choose Jesus above my friends. I choose Jesus instead of getting drunk. I choose Jesus instead of watching pornography. I choose Jesus instead of reading something that I know I shouldn't read. I choose Jesus instead of rededicating my life. I choose Jesus instead of freedom, if that's what it costs. I choose Jesus Christ. That's a follower, and that's what I think we all want to be. Now, here we are again at the place, my favorite place at South Union Christian Church, my favorite place anywhere, the communion table. And I know we come every week and we honor Jesus Christ and we thank Him for the grace that it took to get us to this point, and we should do that every week. But this is also a week, or a place where we come every week to deal with whatever we've been talking about from up here. Because I, I don't say this enough, I'll say it again, I've done all I can do. Do you know I practiced that five times last night so I wouldn't be reading it? I've done the best I can do, but that's all I can do. I can't do anything for your heart, nothing. wish I could, but I can't. Sarah and this praise team, they were in here at 7 o'clock this morning when I got here praying and, and practicing. They've done everything they can to get you to the throne, but they can't do anything for your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, and He is here in the building right now at the table. 
I don't know for some reason, I don't know if it's COVID or what, but we've gotten away from the altar family. It's nothing magical about this place, but it's a powerful place. And before COVID hit, you couldn't find a place up here during communion. Now all of a sudden, I don't know. Can I just remind you, the pillows get changed out every service. We clean this place up. It's clean and ready. So it's time to come up here and remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ and ask him, where, where are we at, Lord, in our relationship? Are you happy with where we're at? Where do you want me to go from here? Spend some time with him.